Listener Production. Tim Story is an acclaimed author, speaker and life coach, helping people navigate difficult times and create the future they desire. Tim has worked with people from all walks of life, from entertainment to executives, celebrities and athletes, to adults and children in the most deprived neighbourhoods in the world. Tim says everyone is at risk of getting stuck in a self-defeating narrative because the situation surrounding you may be completely new and foreign. No one is immune to experiencing setbacks. It's how you deal with them, Tim says, which is key. In this powerful conversation, we discuss finding deeper meaning in your life, how to not get stuck in your story, and why failure is not what you think it is. We're human beings. We have faults, we have flaws, we have failures. And you may not be what you want to be, but thank God you're not what you used to be. Now, today, you have another chance at this thing called life. And today's decisions are tomorrow's realities. And we can choose to get better every single day. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Tim's story is an ordained minister. He has two children and currently resides in the USA. In this episode, you'll learn practical tools and advice to turn any tragedy into a triumph. Tim, you've helped many people bring back their careers. Robert Downey Jr., Charlie Sheen, Kanye West, Stevie Wonder, Quincy Jones, just to name a few. But take us back to your childhood. When I was a young boy, 15, and I worked as a dishwasher at a restaurant. I always showed up early. Mm. I never missed. I never missed school. Most people used to like to miss school, not me, because then I just didn't like it. Um, everywhere I go, I show up early. Yeah. The only time I'm ever late, if, if I'm in Los Angeles and the traffic is so bad because of a car accident, but most likely I have left two hours early to be an hour early, but it was a, an accident, maybe. But my mother taught me the art of discipline. Yes. Which I think has been something that has propelled my life to high levels. What was it within that art of discipline that you've kind of really taken on as an adult? Um, the art of discipline is, to me, is whatever is in front of you, take care of that job. So let's say a fast food restaurant um, in Australia, like a McDonald's. Yeah. Many times if somebody works at a place like that, they're like, oh, you know, let me just get through this. I don't enjoy this job. And they don't do uh, a job that's correct. I was taught by my mother, which was almost like a military style, that everything you did, you did it correct and you did it with everything you have. Mm. So I believe that's what took me to where I am today because people saw me doing a correct job. Like most of the big things I get to do, I never chased anybody. 
I never chased celebrities. I never asked to do movies or plays or TV shows. I not one time. Uh, I think people saw me doing it correct and with all my heart and they asked me then to do the job, yeah. So you were an ordained minister for a long period of time and then now people know you a lot as the comeback king. You've helped so many thousands of people. How did you go from being an ordained minister to being the comeback king? Um, I went to seminary to be a humanitarian Do you remember this lady named Mother Teresa? Yes. Okay. Beautiful woman. So amazing that you're in Australia, which I've been to, I think, maybe 24 times to your great country. Um, I went to seminary to be what I am today. I'm a humanitarian. And um, I have my doctorate in world religion to be a humanitarian. So I work today with the elderly. Um, with somebody who's well-known, who runs that. I work with prison reform with Robert Downey Jr. I work also with the sex trafficking challenge Mm. with many people here in LA and it's worldwide. And um, I work with addiction. Yeah. And so I'm a humanitarian then and I'm a humanitarian now. I just happened to become a person who became an ordained minister, but more than being an ordained minister, I'm a servant. I love being a servant. That's what I like doing is helping people. And so what got you to the point where you were able to use what you'd learned to be able to help people like Robert Downey Jr. and, you know, Stevie Wonder? So I think that for me, I was very fortunate to be mentored by amazing people from the beginning. Um, From the time I was 10, I had great school teachers. Mrs. Sullivan was amazing to me. (laughs) My next teacher, Mr. Probert, he was fantastic. He was the one that told me when I was 11, Timmy Story, you are brilliant. And because of this, I want you to read some biographies about people who are also brilliant, like Michelangelo. So since I was little, I had amazing instructors, Mm. teachers that believed in me. Then later in life, it was people like Vidal Sassoon, Quincy Jones, famous actors like um, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, uh, Charlton Heston. I was trained by amazing human being. So I, I credit a lot of what I've done is to the mentors that have loved me enough or saw something in me as well and pulled it out of me. No doubt about it. Isn't it funny going back to when you were young and you had that that teacher that told you you were brilliant, because I think that's such a pertinent thing, how those words did give you the self-esteem to keep on going and how it is so important uh, how we talk to our kids and how we talk to ourselves as well. Do you use a lot of that now when you mentor other people or help people who have, you know, gone from success to failure? 100%. You, you will never hear negative things coming from my mouth. Uh, and it's not just religion it's because i know the power of words yes and the man the man said to me you are 
And then I didn't know what he was going to say next. He says, you are. Then when he said brilliant, I'd never heard that before. You are brilliant. So what he did is he gave me a tag or label. So all of us have been tagged. All of us have been labeled. And so I took what he said as a compliment. I later found out more what it meant. And I didn't try to push it back. I tried to align myself with his words. Mm. And that's what many times children do is they will align themselves with the words that you speak over them, as you know. Yes. So I speak life over people. So I could be meeting with somebody who's not doing so well. Um, like, let's say a, a guy like Charlie Sheen. And, I, and I, I see myself more like I'm known for helping a lot of very famous people. But I don't like to say I am there so-and-so. Like, yes. I take responsibility. What I'm good at is I'm a very good conversationalist. And so I've had conversations with all these people and sometimes every three days of their life for the last 20 years. But let's take a, a person like Charlie Sheen, who the public knows is going up and down and up and down. But he's a great friend of mine and he's even nice to my mother. <laughs> No matter how Charlie's doing, I speak to him the same as though he's doing great. Yes. And he is very shocked by that always because he's so used to people treating him as he thinks he deserves. Like, I did this wrong, so therefore they treat him this way. I treat him like a champion even when he does things that are unchampion-like. So say someone was sick, because I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of people that might have terminal illnesses. How do you speak to them? Because, you know, when someone's unwell, it's very easy for people to, you know, be so consumed with that sick feeling that everyone's giving them sympathy rather than, I think, doing the opposite, which you were just kind of speaking about. Well, I think that all of us are sick to a degree. Mm. And I teach that we go through recovery and discovery at the same time. So to be sick means to be ill, to be fading, to be fading. So some are, some are sick because of the mourning of their father passing away or their mother passing away or their grandparents. Some are sick because of a divorce or a challenge in relationships or their daughter's not doing well or the son's not going Doing well. So, as you know, it could be physical sickness, mental, it could be emotional. So, I, I do believe that all of us are sick in some way and we're trying to get better. So, we're going through recovery. But if you're not careful, you'll stay in the recovery zone. Yes. To, when you're in the recovery zone, watch this. Everything is very singular, singular. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. What I try to get people that are struggling with cancer or they're struggling with an illness that is not supposed to be cured is to try to daily look at the discovery zone. Wow, look at that. The sun is still shining or the rain is still coming down. Hmm. Or did you just see the butterfly go by? So I think that it's very important that when you are sick in any form or fashion to look for the discovery. And that's the innocence of children. 
Children are looking for discovery every day of their life. That's true, isn't it? Yeah, that's why they, they, they wake up and they say, can I play? Oh, you have to get ready for school. But then can I play? Yeah, but then you have to do your homework. But then can I play? Yes, but then you have to eat. But can I play after that? They're in the discovery zone. There is a beautiful innocence that children have that is something that, you know, it's amazing to look at them and think we should all be able to kind of get back into that state. A lot of people think that they hit a certain age and that's it, like they're programmed. How do people reprogram themselves when they've been in such bad habits for 40 years of their life? Spend time with you and me. <laughs> yeah, I am, I am innocent. You know, I, I allow my innocence to come out on a daily basis. If, if I'm wounded in one area, I will not let myself just focus on the wound. Mm. I will do something that reminds me of the innocence, whether it be listening to music from my childhood, um, playing old TV shows from my childhood. You know, like in America, yes. maybe they have this in Australia, but they have certain stations that I can literally watch the TV shows I watched when I was seven, eight, and nine. Yes, we have the same. Okay, sometimes I watch them on purpose because it it triggers me to a place of innocence. So many times, whether I'm dealing with a man who's in prison for 20 years, which is common because I go into prisons. Yes. Or I go into somebody's life that has been depressed or something going on. I really try to trigger the innocence in them. And to be honest with you, I'm quite successful with these kind of techniques. And part of that is um, observation. Yeah. Observation and letting people who are challenged get around situations that they just observe energy. They see children playing, right? Or they watch something that reminds them of who they used to be. And obviously helping people when they've been in really full-on situations and they're sad and they're in despair, maybe they got made redundant or you know, something's happened to them and they really feel like they can't get out of that fog. What do you say to people who are in situations like that? How do you cultivate an understanding to them to allow them to flourish again? Okay. Number one, if it was, if it was easy, then more people would get out of the rut faster. Mm. So in fairness to people, sometimes it was the way they were raised. Maybe they were raised by a mother or a father or both that had a very low ceiling and they were very controlled and oppressed. It's not easy to get over. Okay. Maybe they were molested. Maybe something happened to them. Maybe they struggled with an illness since they were young. So I don't see anything as being easy, but I do believe in getting better getting better. So that's, that's what I'm known for. Like I work with the biggest stars in the world and their manager will say behind the stars back, fix him. We really need him ready by the movie. Well, when does the movie start in three weeks? What do you do? I'll say, well, what's going to happen is I'm going to give him some tools 
and I'm going to help him or her become better. That's what I'm really good at. So what are the tools? People better. Well, it depends on the person. So if I'm dealing with a man that um, is struggling with an addiction problem, then number one, he needs to become awake or she. Then secondly, they need to become aware of the situation. Number three, they have to find the right partners. Number four, they need to establish a plan, okay, a plan of action. And then the next step is that they have to then take steps towards making that plan work. So I am really good at taking somebody that is in a cloud, in a, in a, in a situation that doesn't look so great, and helping them to become awake and aware. But then they got to find partners and a plan, and then they have to manifest the plan. And let's talk about that. You talk a bit about having your eyes closed and be able to kind of make your own life through manifestation and really having the idea and the feeling behind what you want. How do you talk to your clients about doing that? Well, I think that if you go back again to childhood, as we talked about earlier, if if I was to ask you, what did you want to do when you were little? You would tell me what? Did you want to be a ballerina? Did you want to be a dancer? Did you want to be a singer, an actress? What did you want to be? I actually wanted to be an actress. Okay. Uh, so you were probably thinking about it. You were acting like an actress. You were watching people that you liked. And so a lot of what I do in my type of counseling or therapy is take people back to the beginning. Mm. Like I asked Kanye West's mother, what did he want to be? And she said he wanted to be in music. He wanted to be a humanitarian. On the set of a movie, I asked Robert Downey Jr.'s mother, what he wanted to be. He wanted to be a actor. He wanted to be a humanitarian. I I asked Brad Pitt's mother. He wanted to be a humanitarian. He wanted to be an architect, which he is as well. Yes. He does buildings. He does jewelry. And he also wanted to be uh, an actor. I asked Katy Perry's parents, what did she want to be? She wanted to be a singer. She wanted to be a humanitarian. So it's an amazing thing that those parents that I asked, what did their children want to be? They wanted to be what they became. Isn't that fabulous? I think it's, I think it's so amazing. And I think that many times we see things as just child, childish fascination when really it was our divine calling. Mm. So, so maybe one didn't become uh, an actor or an actress, but maybe they are producing movies or maybe they have a podcast or maybe they're on stages in front of 30,000 people at a time. So, you know, the fantasy is sometimes a bit of a, just a fantasy because you're little. Mm. But I think that there's always a little bit of truth in some of those longings that people had when they were little. How do you think all those people that you just mentioned got there? Um, I think that the majority of people that make it in the city that I reside 
is number one, they became really great at something. Yeah. So Stevie Wonder, for example, um, his mother was driving by a house one day and he heard music. And he says, he says, mom, can you please stop the car? I want to go to where the music is. Oh. At, at one point, he ended up in the garage of these people that were making music. And he heard a band that was playing the piano in that garage of the house. And he said to me personally that when he walked into the music, he walked into who he was. Isn't that beautiful? So, it's such a beautiful story. So I think number one is that they, they decided to, to follow their own desire. The second is, I always say this, don't wait for the spotlight to shine somewhere and then run after the spotlight. I said, create something amazing and the spotlight will come on your spot. Hmm. Some of the greatest chefs were just doing their best at just a regular restaurant. And then people like us found them and the spotlight came to the spot. So I didn't become life coach to the stars by taking an ad in the newspaper. <laughs> yes. Life coach to the stars. No, I became very good at what I do. I'm not good at cooking. I'm not good at fixing cars, but having to do with a comeback, I cannot be beat. That's fabulous. You talk about an, an amazing point, which is working your land and it's a fascinating concept. And I know that you use this proverb a lot when talking about that. He who works his land will have abundance, but if you choose fantasies, you lack wisdom. Can you explain that? to us in more depth? Number one, thank you for knowing that proverb. Pleasure. Proverb 12, 11. And you know, I have 3,000, over 3,000 scriptures memorized just because I wanted to. That's amazing. So that proverb, he who works his land, work denotes effort. So I like that you got on the podcast early. That's working your land. You have a private life. You're working your land. You have other jobs. It's working your land. He who works his land. Okay, well, what's my land, Tim, story? If you're 12, it's going to school. That's your land. Mm. If you have a bedroom, making up your bed, that's part of your land. If you're a husband, that's working your land. If you're a wife, that's working your land. If you're a school teacher, that's working your land. He who works his land. So your land, you have to, as you know, the law of the harvest, you have to plow the land, plant the seed, water the seed, reap a harvest. This is the story of my life. Like people say like, how is it happening? Oh my gosh, make it happen for me. What are you doing? Are you plowing? Are you planting? Are you watering? Are you harvesting? You know, a lot of the people that I life coached 25 years ago mm. that used to try to pay me, I would not let them pay me, have now taken over Beverly Hills. 
the strongest managers, the strongest agents, the heads of the biggest companies, I tell you, these are all my friends. There's probably no one that I know of that I cannot get to. Because if I don't know them, which I probably do, then one of my other friends knows them. But that was me working my land, plowing, planting seed, watering the seed, which is repetition, and then therefore getting a harvest. And so I don't think that your kind of success or the success of Ellen or Oprah comes by accident. Mm. They plow, they plant, they water, they harvest. Obviously, religion is a big part of everything that you live and breathe because that's been your background and has been with you since you were a child. How do you use your strong religious background to do the work that you're doing now? I never considered myself so religious. I think that religion to me is a lot of rules and regulations that many times counts people out. I'm more into a God who counts people in. Mm. And I believe that that's what's working for Tim's story. Um, I really do. Like, I was speaking in Rome. Yes. And a group of Turkish people. I was 3,000 people in Rome. There was a group of Turkish people, about 400, and they were just weeping during my speech. And one of the men said, why is it that when you speak, we feel God? They were a completely different religion, but they felt the spirit of God coming from me. That's more exciting to me than being religious. What is it that you think that you have within you that people can feel that? I have what you have inside of me. Um, You are made in the image and the likeness of God. And it's like Kendrick Lamar says, we have royalty inside our DNA. Now, um, what I do is I choose to draw near to God in my prayer and my meditation and my studying of scripture and by being with other people who are close to God. Yes. And I find that it's true what the Bible says. If I draw near to God, he'll draw near to me. So I think that the God of the universe is flowing through me. Yeah, I mean, it's many times I'll just be sitting on an airplane and someone will say, oh my gosh, are you like a religious man? (laughs) And I'll say, why do you say that? I feel something coming from you. So, yeah, I I I think we all have a God flow. It's a matter of just tapping into it. You talk a lot about walking walking by faith and not sight. Can you explain that to us a bit? Well, when you, look, when you walk by your sight or by your touch, smell, hearing, taste, when you walk by as what we call the five senses, um, you're going to be dismayed on a daily basis <laughs> because sometimes you don't feel good or what you see does not look good. But to walk by faith is to believe in a promise that was given. 
and step out and towards that promise, even if it doesn't look like it's happening. Mm. I'll give you an example. So my father came to me and the rest of the children when we were little and said, on Saturday, we're going to Disneyland. Now we knew what Disneyland was. And I remember I was probably six years of age. So on Wednesday night, when are we going to Disneyland? Don't forget, I said Saturday, Thursday. Is it almost Saturday? Yeah, it's coming in two more days on Friday. Is it almost Saturday? Yes, it's tomorrow. So based on my father's word, we prepared ourselves for Disneyland. So when you get a word inside your heart that I'm going to have my own podcast, that's you. Mm. I'm going to write books, that's you. I'm going to speak and a lot of people are going to listen. That's you. I might do documentaries that change people. That's you. I may travel around the world doing this. That's you. Thank you very much. You've got a promise. And based on that promise, you stepped out on faith. Isn't that unbelievable? How have you seen people change by them doing that? I think that it's changed their entire life. I mean, I was sitting on Sunset Boulevard and uh, I can't say who this person was, but I was talking to a very famous agent, okay? And a very famous person came behind me and my agent friend said, so-and-so is coming behind you. This guy tapped me in the back and the guy said, who's very famous, said, Oh my God, Tim Story. I've been listening to you since I was 14 years of age. I just want you to know that you have totally changed my life. And if you need anything, I got your back. He goes, let's exchange cell phone numbers. Okay. So that's an interesting thing. So that young person who became a huge star at 14 years of age, heard what I said and gravitated to my words and believed that he could do what he wanted to do. In that case, it was, you know, to come from another city, come to Hollywood and make it. So I I see this on a daily basis. I mean, daily, daily, daily. And that's exciting to see. You talk a lot about a miracle mindset. Can you explain that to us further? Number one, Thank you for doing your research. Pleasure. And that's, a very, that's a very good question. A miracle is a supernatural event. It's something uncommon, not normal, and not regular. We were created to manifest miracles. Walt Disney walked into a theme park in the 1930s. It was not going to be till 30 years later that he created a place called Disneyland. But 30 years prior, he walked into a theme park and he said to his friend, I'm going to do my own theme park someday, but mine's going to be different, better, and more magical. Oh, I love this. So he was already thinking 30 years before he created Disneyland, I'm going to do a theme park, but mine's going to be different, better, and more magical. A miracle mindset is when you get a supernatural, extraordinary 
way of thinking in your mind and you just meditate on this way of thinking. This is how I think. I really do. I saw myself becoming Tim Story before I became Tim Story. I, I talked to Oprah Winfrey about this and she says, Tim, same with me. I was a child and I knew it. I knew it when I was probably about um, 10 years of age, 11 years of age. I already projected and I saw myself just going and doing amazing things. Um, it's a mindset. If you talk to Pharrell Williams, he had a certain mindset. I, I tell you, the, the miracle mindset, the extraordinary, supernatural mindset, when somebody has that mindset, it will break them out of anything. I mean, I've seen it. There's extraordinary people that I've interviewed on this podcast who all have that that mindset. How does a person cultivate that and not allow things to come in and break it? So we all have time on our hands, okay? So, I mean, if you were to look around just even this desk here. So I have Malcolm Gladwell here, okay? Then I have another one by Jason Jennings. It's another book here. And then I have a book by Oprah Winfrey right there, her latest one. Then I have another book right there. So I'm constantly meditating on books, hearing podcasts, like people should keep listening to your podcast to get a miracle mindset. I'm, I'm reading, I'm listening, I'm watching things, okay? Mm. And feeding my mind and my soul that kind of food to grow up to be the person that I am now. I do not spend a lot of time with negative people. If somebody's really negative, I may have a coffee with them. I may have a tea with them for a small period of time. If somebody somehow gets my phone number and they text me something negative about one of my friends or who I'm working with, I tell you, I just don't spend time with people like that. I will erase the text and just move on. So I think it's about really taking time to pay attention to what you meditate and what you dwell on. What do you do when you're in a situation, and I know for a lot of people where, say, it's work, for example, and you're the optimistic one, but you're with a lot of pessimistic people, but you, it's your job, so you kind of, you know, can't get away from them. Well, how should someone think in a situation like that? Are you ready for the ultimate answer? I can't wait. So I'm holding up a piece of paper and it says one, two, three. Do you see that? Yes. Okay. There are levels of intimacy. Level one is, I work with you. How are you doing, Sally? How are you doing, Chris? How are you doing, Marcus? Great. I'm working with you maybe for six hours a day, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. Yeah. I'm working with you. So I know you at the level that is a very surface level. Mm -hmm. Level two is, you might be my mate. Okay? We hang out. We may go for a drink. We may go here together. We may go there together. So we share maybe more intimate things with each other. Level three is a place where most people don't have the right people in their life. 
which is people who understand you, who get you, who know you. We all long to be known. When people misunderstand us, that is one of the biggest things that people do not like, is to be misunderstood. Like if somebody met you and they said, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe her. She seems like she's really into herself. Since she had this podcast, <laughs> she's very into herself. You'd be like, what? Yeah. That's not me. Okay. So back to the level one, if somebody is negative, if I have to work with them, I'm okay with it. It's level one. I'm only going to see you for eight to 10 hours a day. And I'm not going to see you every second of the day. I'm going to move around. Yes. Okay. What I'm looking for is I'm going to be nice to level one people always because you never know what they're going through and coping with. Yeah, that's a good point. It makes, them, it makes them so irritable. But I'm going to be open to my level two people. And so there's actually a scripture in the Bible that says, he who shows himself friendly shall have many friends. So level two is care about people, love people, be genuinely concerned about people. Like I send my male friends heart emojis. Okay. That's so nice. <laughs> and some of their wives just crack up. They're like, oh my God, Tim's story. He is so down to earth. He sends you heart emojis. I do it sometimes to shock the heck out of them. Mostly the ones that are like such men. Um, but sometimes I do it just because I really do love them. I really care about them. These are like my male friends. To a female, you got to watch who you send a heart emoji. Maybe I'll send a smiley face. <laughs> and tell me, thinking big in small places is also something that you talk about a lot. You say, let the dream speak, but then you need to think to activate it. How does that work? So I honestly believe that the life you're living right now that you saw beforehand, whether you were driving in a car or you were just at your house or you were in some setting and you envisioned your life. And so maybe you were in a very small place, but you were thinking big in the small place. And that's the beautiful thing about dreaming. That's a beautiful thing about the imagination. Whoa. My imagination took me to, ooh, I want to do that. Or, ooh, I want to meet them. Wow, I'd like to influence them. To think the things that I imagined, I did 10 times what I thought. Literally that much, 10 times. But I was thinking big in small places. Like we had seven people in a two-bedroom apartment is how we lived. And then one day I lived in a house that had seven bathrooms and an elevator in Beverly Hills. So that's quite a far yes. thing from seven people in a two-bedroom apartment to then where I saw myself going. I, I saw myself going into these places. There's, there's times that certain people will come up to me 
And I had already seen myself meeting this person. Is that via, you know, when you're meditating and you're doing manifestation or is that just a daydream that you're having? I think it's two. I believe that, well, here's a statement that I give. I say, I don't believe in chasing dreams. I believe in cooperating with what heaven has already said. So I believe that heaven has spoken about my life. Mm. So all I want to do is I want to be in alignment with what it said. So it, what's, what's interesting about our lives, like with my team, is that on a daily basis, we're, we're asked to do things on a daily basis. And some things I turn down that most people would not turn down because they're not in alignment with what I feel I am supposed to do. I see it more as a distraction. When someone has a dream, for example, like say someone wants to be a really famous cricket player, but realistically they've tried and they've tried and they're not that good at cricket. When do you say to someone, all right, you might be going in a certain direction, but it's time to pivot? Sooner than later. I think that one thing I love about my friends, male and female, they will, they will be honest with me. Mm. Like, wow. Like, wow. Um, like, I, I have an acting coach, and the acting coach is female. And she says, I'm going to be honest with you. If you act the way you just did that scene in this movie, you will suck really bad. <laughs> I said, why? She goes, because you're projecting like a speaker. That's not, that's not how you act. Yes. It's not like the camera comes on and you go like, hey, boys and girls. <laughs> so I think sooner than later is good. What, what I think that a lot of people do is they try to use what haters have said as fuel. Mm. Like the haters said I couldn't be a big cricket player and look at me now. Oh, please. Okay. I think that if somebody has tried something like cricket is that, you know, if you tried for eight years and you still are staying in the minor levels, maybe we should play cricket for fun now. And now you should support you and your two children and your wife in a different way. So I really believe in reality and where are we now Mm. and really assessing things. And I, and I go in very strong with famous people. They like me for that. In fact, a lot of managers will say, oh, my gosh, nobody has ever said that to that person. You know, I would rather be honest and say, you know, that's just not you anymore. Maybe we should get realistic and go down this road. Yeah. How do you know, say, with some of the famous actors that you've looked after, obviously they've had a successful career acting and then something's happened and they are having some sort of setback. How do you know when to say, I, I don't think you should go back, I think you should pivot into, into another area? Okay, I'll tell you a famous story of a famous entertainer without saying their name, mm-hmm. but this is brilliant. So this entertainer comes to me and he says, I cannot believe it. They have asked me to be on this TV show. I said, oh, but that's a good TV show. It was a really good show. It won a lot of Emmys in America. 
He says, oh, I can't believe they asked me to be in this TV show. I said, I think it's a good show. He, he said to me, I am an actor on movies. I'm a movie star. And he went like this. He went, big screen. <laughs> yeah. Watch, watch. It's a famous story. And I said, but no one has been hiring you because of all your problems. If I was you, I would take the small screen <laughs> and hope that it leads back to the big screen. And that's what happened. Really? He took the job in the small screen. It led back to the big screen. Isn't that fascinating? What do you think out of everything that you've taught people and that you speak about are the most important things that anyone can take away if they're having some sort of setback and using their everyday life? I think part of it is you may not be what you want to be, but thank God you're not what you used to be. And that is give yourself a break. We're human beings. We have faults. We have flaws. We have failures. And you may not be what you want to be, but thank God you're not what you used to be. And that now, today, you have another chance at this thing called life. And today's decisions are tomorrow's realities. And we can choose to get better every single day. That's amazing. If you could turn back time and talk to your 20-year-old self, knowing everything you do now, what would you say to that gentleman? To little Timmy? Yes. Um, I would say to him to enjoy the moment because I think that I got too much too soon. And when I got too much too soon and I had a lot of success in my 20s, that it was all coming at me so fast that I didn't enjoy the moment. And, you know, this is a whole different type of field because mine was in the area of speaking. Mm. But let, let's say even like a Justin Bieber in singing, which I would say that his platform in the public is about a hundred times to what mine was at that time. So I'm not trying to say it was equal. But I think that that's what happened to like a Justin Bieber is that he got so much so soon that it was like one giant distraction that for the most part, I don't think he was really enjoying the moments. And so I would say to my younger self to stop, look and listen and enjoy where you are on the way to where you're going. And that's where I am now. I I totally love life. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, I think my legacy, what I'd like it to be, is that my vision was to see other people's visions come to pass. That simply he wanted to see other people's visions manifest. What's your heart's greatest desire? I would like to see more people actually feel life again. You know, the word life actually derives from a word that means animation. And I think that when you were little and I was little, we had a lot of moments that were very animated. I hope you did. Did you? Yes, I did. I had many. Okay. 
I would like to see more people more animated. Like on purpose, when I'm an airplane, I smile at people and then they just frown. <laughs> or if I go to the store, I'll smile and they frown. And I just feel like life has kicked the animation out of them. Or as I say, that life has knocked the shout out of them. We used to start with a shout. You never go into a little kid's classroom and say, all right, kids, pump up the volume. No, teachers always have to have to go, shh, bring the volume down. Now I want to see the shout come back, the animation come back, the life come back. It'd be nice to see more people be more animated. I plan on staying animated until I leave this place. What inspires you? People like you. I'm inspired by, uh, by other people who are getting things done. So I'm, in, I'm being inspired today by you, um, by your energy, by the fact you did your homework, by the fact you stepped out and you did a podcast that's doing well because my team studied you. And so I'm, I'm inspired by other creatives. I love creatives. Creatives inspire me. What is a life of greatness to you? Life of greatness is to receive the gift of life that you've been given and to, to live your life and not just go through life. Tim's story, you are absolutely one of a kind. Thank you so very much for all your words of wisdom. Thank you very much. And what a privilege to be on your podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.